0: Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show Podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, a Hamilton perspective of COVID-19 and a perspective from the United States of America. Also, how are teachers getting ready for upcoming e-learning? And is your internet slower? We tackle all of it on a COVID-19 edition of the Scott Thompson Show Podcast today on the scott thompson show on 900 chml all right let's get uh, some information a little closer to home there's uh, lots to talk about what's happening here locally in hamilton let's bring in dr bart harvey associate medical officer of health city of hamilton and with us now doctor thank you so much for the time much appreciated
1: hi scott bart here
0: Thanks for taking the time, doctor. Greatly appreciate it. I want to take this time to, and I don't know if you, if you can pass this along, but from all of us that are watching you people work so hard from afar and keep us all healthy, just thank you so much to you and your staff. Uh, we are certainly see everybody bring their best game on days like this, aren't we?
1: Well, I'm, I'm totally inspired by our staff and the efforts they're putting in and the expertise and the passion towards it and all of the support we very much uh, – very much appreciate that, and this is what public health is for. Um, or this is the this is the kind of instance where all of a sudden we become visible. I mean, we're we're working hard all the time, but uh, you know, as we always say, if uh, if if the public's health is well, then public health should kind of be in the background, and we should be invisible. It's only when we get this uh, fun little creature that decides to come visit us that. Um, the public comes. Public health comes out and becomes uh, more public.
0: All right, let's give us an update on what is happening in Hamilton. What can you tell us about cases and such? Can you give us any update there?
1: So I will, but can I? Can I? Uh, and you probably already done it, but Sting and the police don't stand too close to me. Yes. Have you Have you done that one yet?
0: It's on the list. It's on the list. It's coming, Bart.
1: Okay, so that we'll, that, we'll, we'll that's probably my have discussion. that. No.
0: We'll probably have that one a little earlier on next week. But, yes, we will run those all. Oh, I'm sorry, for the course of the day for all requests uh, Friday. By absolute, uh, absolutely, we will play that for all of the uh, medical staff in Hamilton today.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, uh, and for all Hamiltonians, the six-foot safety zone. We want everybody to to protect everyone else's six-foot safety zone and protect your own because we know this virus is it, it it's not an Olympic athlete. It can it can't it can't traverse more than six feet or two meters, whichever kind of measurement system you're you're into. And of course, you can contaminate surfaces. So the virus can be on surfaces. So we're you know strongly recommending any frequently used surfaces disinfect those. So if the virus happens to be there, get the virus off it so that you can't. You know, inadvertently inoculate somebody else or yourself, and keep your hands away from your your face, uh,
0: doctor.
2: Um, on far on far that note, uh, at,
1: I think um, I think we're probably just about ready to update our website as far as numbers. Uh, my understanding is we are now uh, currently at fifty cases in Hamilton. Um, the vast majority of these folks are um, there's. They're they're definitely ill. Um, they're de- they're ill like a, quote a, you know a respiratory illness. They're they're self isolating at home. Um, we've started to uh, clear some of the earlier cases. They've gone through the 14 day period that's being required by the province, and they're they don't have a fever anymore. They're feeling better. So we're starting to you know on our website people will see. The, uh, the number for resolved, so those are cases that have now cleared. Um, we're starting, that's gone beyond zero, and I think on our first day we had three, and each day we will have additional folks that our staff will reach out to, get a, get a final update on how they're feeling and making sure that they're clear. Um, I think, you know, I've kind of described that this infection seems to be kind of in what i picture as being a third phase. The first phase was largely the cases we were seeing where people coming back from international travel, um, some of them being clustered in, uh, you know, a group of people that had come off the uh, Celebrity Summit uh, cruise, I think it was out of Puerto Rico, I think it landed in the end of the first week in March. Waterloo had a couple of cases. Huron, uh, Bruce had a couple of cases. I think we've had six or seven cases that came off that cruise ship. Um, and then we kind of moved into the notion of people who were uh, being diagnosed with uh, with the infection who had connections. A lot of them were family members. We know, you know, we've known since December, the word out of China was, A lot of the cases in China were clustered in families. And what we know about this virus is it takes prolonged close contact to be infected. So it's not just kind of like, oh, I passed them in the aisle in the grocery store. While that might be possible, that just doesn't seem to be consistent with what we're seeing. And then the third phase, which we're now into, is we're having a growing number of individuals. And I think it's understandable as, as the virus. Kind of enters the community, um, the, you know, the places where it's being transmitted and where people are picking it up. We no longer have travel history. We no have longer have direct contact. Um, so we, we're now seeing more and more individuals that we're deeming as, you know, it was acquired through community transmission or community spread, which again, we're totally used to because every year that's how influenza kind of comes to our community, the the vast majority of the, what is it now, over 1,600 people in Hamilton this year have been diagnosed with a lab test with influenza. And the vast majority of them, if we went to ask them, you know, do you know, like we're in contact with somebody, they'd say, I have no clue. And we won't either. With COVID-19, we're now there too, that we're seeing you know, the virus is being transmitted in the community. People are, you know, we still want people physical distancing. Um, and really what we're trying to do is we're trying to slow down the number of people who get infected so that we don't find ourselves where where Italy is. That, um, you know, we want to spread out the number of people who ultimately are going to get infected with this virus, but we want it to happen in kind of a controlled fashion, so that our colleagues in the hospital and the rest of the healthcare system, you know, that finite resource can can provide support, provide care, and not be overwhelmed by massive numbers of these folks. So that's why, you know, people doing their own thing, washing your hands 20, 20 seconds, warm, warm soapy water, um, keeping that six-foot safety zone to not let the virus have an opportunity to jump from one person to another so that we can try to slow down the number of infections, try to keep it within controlled numbers. But we know and we expect, I mean, nobody was, nobody knew this virus, so none of us had immunity to it. And we know that for individuals and for communities to be able to fight off viruses, we don't really have effective medications. Mm so we and we don't have a vaccine at this point so you know we need we need people to get infected with it so that both individually and as a community we can build up strength and build up the ability to fight it off
0: we have heard a recent report that an employee at the Barton Street jail had tested positive how concerned are you when we hear stories like this
1: um i don't think you need to be concerned at all about hearing that anybody's been infected with the virus. As I just said, same with healthcare and nursing It's it's not if people are going to get infected with the virus, Scott. It's how many in how short a period of time. The concept of elongating the curve or more frequently people talk about flattening the curve. For me it's both things, is that notion of spreading out the number of, of infections. So for the the Barton Street, the Hamilton Detention Centre, we're working closely with their staff um, and their inmates through the staff and um, identifying individuals who may have had close contact with that individual, asking them to self-isolate for 14 days so that anyone who might have gotten the virus from that individual is isolated away. So if they become symptomatic, we're minimizing the risk that they can transmit the virus yet another person. Because our main objective here is to try to, um, you know, decrease the possibility of transmission from person to person. We know we're not going to be perfect. Quite frankly, we don't want to be perfect because that'll leave all of us totally susceptible. Um, But, you know, being able to kind of control the amount of infection that happens. So, like the Barton Street um, Jail and, and lots of other places. Every time we find a person who tests positive, we're working with them, working with the people around them. In a case like an employer, like the uh, detention center, working with the management and the staff there to put every possible way in place so, again, we can decrease the risk of the virus being transmitted to other people.
0: We certainly know that at the beginning of all of this, the younger generation wasn't taking this too seriously. We are now hearing about other young cases and that. uh, That being said, your thoughts on the story involving uh, a McDonald's restaurant in Hamilton, which we know uh, someone was reported as having COVID-19, therefore set in a pile of procedure that eventually closed the store. Now that it turns out that person didn't test or wasn't uh, suffering and that this was sort of a hoax kind of thing any words as to the seriousness of all of this and and how we just can't take this lightly
1: yeah and no nobody did scott um so when we were notified uh about that we immediately reach out because for us it's it's like we're looking at hamilton cases and we're thinking do we know about that now the way health units work is we all work by where somebody lives. So, you know, our first response was, okay, maybe, maybe they work in Hamilton, but they live somewhere else. So let's reach out to our other colleagues and other health units. Let's try to identify that individual and reach out to them and find out who they are and where they were tested and where they live. So we can figure out, is it Niagara? Is it Halton? Is it Guelph? Is it Waterloo? Like, where is it? Um, and then I think as, as we went through our usual processes and uh, to try to identify, again, as I've alluded to with the Barton Street Jail, uh, you know, um, even an alleged positive result like this one initially was and was for a couple of days, um, certainly the employer being a, a food provider, an international food provider, um, they assumed that the information they had was correct and they moved and took actions again that were totally consistent with reducing the ability or the probability that the virus could be transmitted. So the possibility that other coworkers had been exposed and they might be incubating the virus and, and in a few days, they might be able to transmit it. And then when we finally tracked it down, um, unfortunately, it was, you know, we identified um, and, and working with, uh, you know, professional investigator Sources that, in fact, you know, this really wasn't a positive test, but this was um, an individual that had uh, had done that. It's unfortunate that there were a, a bunch of resources from many places. Certainly, the food establishment uh, rightfully, but in retrospect, didn't need to close down for the number of days they did, but they did the right thing, and I applaud them for doing that. And uh, I guess I would. Uh, I would I would highlight that you know this is this is an important enough thing by all means if you're not feeling well get tested um, but I guess it's like the a little older individual a while back that was in the middle of an, a midair flight and disclosed and that flight was over yeah. Florida and they had to turn around and come back to Pearson in Toronto and land and that individual also was arrested for you know, causing the mayhem that they had caused by their really irresponsible actions.
0: It's like yelling fire, isn't it?
1: Well, fortunately, nobody ran. So I think yeah. the notion of yelling fire in a in a movie theater, people's natural reaction is to um, move as quickly as possible to the exits, and you, you run the risk that others around will be injured. Um, I think in this, I'm not sure that anybody else suffered ill health because of it, but certainly it caused, um, you know, the food establishment, McDonald's, uh, our staff, other staff, um, the investigating uh, agencies, lots of time and effort and and energy that, quite frankly, we're not overwhelming with. So we would rather be able to kind of spend those energies and attention where we really need to rather than essentially what was chasing down a hoax.
0: Doctor, we're heading into another weekend of uh, self-distancing and isolation. Your thoughts, advice for people? We've got uh, about 30 seconds left.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, we've had discussions. You know, even people that are in self-isolation, my advice to them would be that, um, you know, we, we need to take care of our own well beings. I'm looking out my window at my home office also, Scott, and I see sunshine here. So it's that six-foot yep. safety zone. So if you're in self-isolation, go really out of your way to make sure that nobody gets into your six-foot safety zone. Make sure you don't get into – and for all the rest of us, it, the same, but go for a walk. Go for a bike ride. Um, you know, visit with friends, but visit with them maintaining the six-foot safety zone. Again, Job one is decreasing the risk of transmitting this virus, and we know that it's not an Olympian. It can't jump more than two meters. So stay outside of two meters. You're perfectly safe. And again, cleaning down the surfaces. If you're in self-isolation, avoid places where you might come close to surfaces that other people might, might touch. But it's springtime. Let's, uh, you know, let's, we, my personal view is mental well-being, social well-being is important. Hamilton is a wonderful, strong, caring community, and, and let's keep doing that. Let's keep caring for one another, looking out for one another, and, and looking out for ourselves as well, Scott.
0: Dr. Part Harvey has been with us, Associate Medical Officer of Health City of Hamilton. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Take care, and thank you again for all your staff and all the hard work that you do. All right, yesterday on, uh, during Doug Ford's press conference, which we've been, uh, was it the day before, we were all been airing these live uh, in the one o'clock hour as the premier uh, speaks, the prime minister as well, a little early, about 11.15 in the morning. But yesterday, or the other day with Doug Ford, uh, he talked about uh, price, uh, price gouging and how he was upset that uh, he had heard uh, all sorts of anecdotal information about stores that have jacked up the price of essential things like um, uh, toilet paper, guess perhaps or or uh, specifically Lysol wipes in this case and he actually called out a store Pusateri's for charging 30 bucks for uh, Lysol wipes Uh, to talk more about all of this Bruce Winder is with us retail expert uh, professor and entrepreneur and all of this is with us now Bruce thank you for the time much appreciated
3: hey thanks for having me on the show
0: are you surprised the premier called out this company yesterday? As soon as I heard that I thought, "Oh my, lawsuit," but I guess there it was. Are you surprised that, that, that this drew the attention it did?
3: Yeah, I was kind of surprised when I heard him call out the name. Like usually, you know, you'll hear government officials call talk generically about a solution, but good for him for calling it out cuz that was an unfortunate thing and that sends a uh, that sends fear through the spines of anyone else who's trying to gouge consumers cuz what if they're next on his list? of companies to call out so i actually applaud that he did it and uh it really uh but it shows you the kind of times are in. these are the times that bring out the best and worst in humanity
0: uh how do you explain this how does something like this happen
3: how does it happen um you know what i don't know i mean that's a great question it could be it could have been an error um it could have been someone who thought you know what we're just going to take advantage of making more money off people um So we really don 't know how it happens I mean it would be pretty big to make an error like this though you know what i mean like it 's not even the right number like you know these things probably go for you know seven ninety nine or five ninety nine so twenty nine ninety nine would be pretty pretty big i mean you know they don 't go for two ninety nine so i can 't see yeah. it going from two ninety nine to twenty nine ninety nine so it 's probably not an error it 's probably just a situation where someone thought well. You know, supply and demand, we can get 29 99 for it. And Pusateri's is an affluent store, right? It's for the well-heeled folks in Toronto. So uh, perhaps someone, I don't know for sure, but perhaps someone thought, well, they won't notice it, they're rich anyways, and they'll pay, pay it. But they were very, very wrong in that assumption, if that's what they made.
0: How damaging is this to a brand?
3: How do you fix this? Well, it's very damaging. It, it destroys trust, and brands are all about trust. So, um, first of all, it's very damaging. Um, You know, it's something that uh, uh, Pusateri's clientele, or anyone else who's really doing this, their clientele remembers. People have long memories, and they remember who was there to help them in a time of need and people who sort of took advantage of them in a time of need. So it's going to be very damaging. Some people forget, but they'll always keep it in the back of their mind as, you know, what were they thinking? Now, they did come out and say that they're going to refund everyone who did it, so they're trying to make amends. I think if, you know, I think if they discontinue to, uh, you know, price things fairly from now on, People will will forgive them, but if they do this again, boy oh boy, that's going to be a big problem.
0: How do retailers handle this in a time of need? We saw that with people hoarding toilet paper a while ago. Uh, how how do they balance this supply and demand, as you said, and and not gouge people? I mean, is it is it just wrong to even boost a price above a average price or the what they normally charge just because of an event like this?
3: It is it's just it's it's an unwritten rule of retail that even if even if demand goes through the roof for a product you don't increase the price. It's just the way it is. It's bad business because your customers will see that and they're taking advantage of you. It's not the stock market, it's not the commodity market where prices go up and down based on supply and demand. This is retail. And you can never do that. You know, I think back when I was a toy buyer and Tickle Me Elmo came out a long time ago and right. you know what retailers didn't even think about increasing the price. Now people Sold it on eBay for thousands of dollars, but all the blue chip retailers wouldn't dare do that they don't want to take advantage of customers
0: and does this send a message to other retailers oh absolutely. or any business I guess for that matter
3: absolutely this is this is a warning this is you know what what else can be worse than having your name mentioned in this way on that you know on on at least provincial television right so I mean anyone else who's doing it uh, beware because they're they may end up on the wrong end of uh, doug ford's news conference and uh you know there's a lot of people uh who were gouging on third-party marketplaces such as amazon and ebay and walmart and those retailers to their credit have taken steps to get rid of them to kick them off their sites and there's sort of a you know a social media meme going around about this guy in the u.s who bought 17,000 hand sanitizer bottles and now he doesn't know what to do with them they're in his garage but he's not going to get a lot of pity from anyone because anyone who tries to gouge anyone uh that that's brutal
0: Bruce Winder has been with us, retail expert. Yesterday, Doug Ford uh, announced uh, there will be no price, price gouging during this pandemic and specifically called out Pusateri's for the $30 Lysol wipes. Bruce, thanks for the time and insight as always. Much appreciated.
3: Okay, appreciate it. Take care of yourself.
0: You too. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, public relations consultant. Alyssa PR. Has the message of COVID-19 finally getting out? Let's bring her in now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
4: As always, Scott, thanks for having me.
0: So is the COVID-19 message getting out? Last weekend, it seemed to be uh, there seemed to be some mixed messaging, which uh, ended up with us getting a public scolding from the Prime Minister on the Monday. Is the message now getting out?
4: I think it is, and I think that they're pulling out all stops in order to make sure of that. I think the first thing that everybody was very concerned about was all these people coming back from their vacation spots or from their, if they were uh, at school abroad, and many of them, as we know, traveled sick because they really just wanted to get home. So on one hand, you think, well, they needed to get home. On the other hand, you know, here comes community spread. And many people were thinking, well, why are not they being tested? Why, is, why are there not more uh, uh, and better protocols as these people come into the airport? Well, now there are. And then even just about a half an hour ago, I think we all yeah. got an alert on mm-hmm. our phones which talked about, pay attention to these to these quarantine directives or else. So I think that once it becomes, it layers down to a very personal level via your phone, which everybody is on now, everybody, that if nobody is getting the message now, they're simply doing it um, out of ignorance and, and they just can't believe what's going on.
0: Uh, We've certainly seen leaders being tested, some leaders coming down. Obviously, our Prime Minister just uh, still in isolation at this point, although I think they've been cleared, he and his wife, uh, from doctors after their two-week escalation. We've heard that Boris Johnson is now tested positive, Prince Charles. What does it do to society once we see our leaders become ill?
4: Well, I hate to say this, but some people a few days ago were saying, Well, what it would really take is a big celebrity who comes down with COVID nineteen. And we had Mm. a bit of that when Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson, came down with it. But you know, when you see our leaders who have been making decisions, you know, Boris Johnson's decision making first started, okay, quarantining of everybody over seventy, and then that quickly changed to everybody. And now that he has it, many people will think, okay, everybody is susceptible. So, well, actually, they'll think two things, Scott. They'll think everybody's susceptible, and they also think, well, how come he got tested and I can't?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you, you have to think that's going on with the prime minister as well. I mean, he said he wasn't going to get tested because he didn't, he, he, he didn't want to spend a test for no reason if he didn't have uh, symptoms. How do you balance this message with telling people they got to stay home and yet not create, uh, creating hysteria?
4: Well, I think a lot of the uh, world leaders have been balancing the message by giving us information in dribs and drabs. So things that would cause uh, panic or hysteria, I think that those messages have been uh, escalating as the days have gone by. Uh, You know, people first start a soft approach so people all don't freak out, which people did in any ways, quite frankly, as we recall all the big lines at the supermarkets um however when you see that people are not complying you think you know what my message needs to be more direct it's not harsh enough people don't get it so when people don't get it then you know comes the smackdown so to speak in terms of messaging so you know even the other day uh yesterday when uh, premier ford heard about certain stores uh price yeah you know it only takes like a little bit to set people off so, you know, this is, this is just mounting. Nothing is, is, is decreasing in messaging so far because people need to be told how to behave. And we can't leave it up always to people's best judgment to help them behave, especially those that are coming in from abroad and may decide that they need to stop and get some milk or may decide they need mm. to go on a, they feel they should go on the subway. People need to be told what to do.
0: Alyssa Freeman has been with us, public relations consultant, Alyssa PR. Alyssa, as always, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. You take care.
4: And you take care of yourself and your family, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson
0: Show podcast on 900 CHML. Reggie Giacchini is with us, Washington producer, correspondent with Global News. He is with us now. Reggie, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Good afternoon. So, Reggie, what is the story behind the troops at the border, and are Canadians making more of this than what it actually is?
2: Well, it turns out that it might not actually be anything at this point. It was something that uh, had been floated around through the Trump administration uh, on Wednesday and on Thursday. Global News caught wind of it within the last 48 hours. Uh, after conversations apparently between the Department of Defense, the Trump administration, and President Trump's apparent confusion last night when he was speaking uh, during the coronavirus briefing, it now appears that there's not going to be any troop movement within the United States to uh, you know, a certain distance towards the Canadian border. We're not sure where it came from. Uh, we don't quite know why it was cancelled. The president had news that potentially it would help stop uh, the influx of, of, of steel dumpings into the United States, clearly something that had already been dealt with with the new NAFTA agreement, uh, but this simply could have been an opportunity for the president to push his, uh, his own agenda, and oftentimes that includes uh, harsh immigration rules. Uh, outside of that, we're not quite sure what the president was going for, but it appears, according to reports, that it's not going to happen.
0: So uh, so this has had to do with immigration and, and those crossing into the United States illegally and steel production? What does it have to do with steel?
2: Well, here's the thing. We're not quite sure what, what the situation was and why the president had, had opted to go this direction. I mean, look, for, for months and months now, the president has been trying to and at certain points has succeeded To beef up security when it comes to the southern border, uh, namely because immigration advisors that are close to him have made this a big concern for him and therefore a big concern for his base. So it's something that we've come used to seeing. Uh, It's worth noting that the military can't actually do anything on U.S. soil. There's a, a rule in place. Uh, that was passed hundreds of years ago that says that uh, that's why we have a National Guard in place in in the United States. But the military being at the border, uh, there's already an active agreement between the two countries that has closed the border to non-essential travel. It's hard to imagine that large swaths of Canadians are going to make their way to the rural passageways in Saskatchewan and Manitoba that are unmanned uh, with with border boots. so we're not quite sure what the president was doing, but he tried to, to, to bring steel dumping into this yesterday uh, and, and trade issues. But those trade issues, like we said, are, are long negotiated and passed. Um, so we're not quite sure what the president was, was aiming at when mm-hmm. it came to this, nor how much he brought Ottawa into the conversation.
0: And are there that many people that are flooding into the United States from Canada? I thought the problem was the other way around. Well, I mean,
2: look, there, there are very few people coming into the country right now simply because of travel restrictions that have been in place uh, for parts of Asia for most of the European Union. And recently, Mexico and Canada, after the borders closed anything but non-essential travel, there is no... Uh, uh, reported concern that Canadians coming into the United States pose any kind of threat, uh, much less the the threat that would be posed since the U.S. appears to be the epicenter right now of Americans trying to flee into Canada. That's also not being reported. So it is a bit of a head-scratcher to figure out why the Trump administration was trying to do this or whether it was potentially some kind of deflection to get us to talk about it like we're doing right now and not talk about the actual crisis when it comes to funding states to fight COVID.
0: It's amazing because, uh, this is, this has gained a lot of attention up here. And are you surprised how Canadians are reacting to this when we sort of hear these sort of musings from Donald Trump all the time?
2: Well, I mean, look, if you listen to how Justin Trudeau talked about this when he was asked about uh, about this military movement during his news conference last hour, uh, he was even giving very vague and simplistic answers because uh, there, there's no uh, clarity on how in depth the conversations made it between the Trump administration and uh, and the Liberal Party in, in Canada, uh, both. Uh, Both Trudeau and Christopher Freeland giving very uh, kind of vague responses to what any kind of potential threat would have been. So it it makes sense as to why there would be some kind of concern and unease for Canadians, because it's simply something that has never uh, been acted upon. We've never seen a military uh, kind of uh, drove bring themselves towards the Canadian border and, you know, we're continuing to press the Trump administration on what was actually going on. We're just waiting for some kind of answer from them.
0: Uh, okay, let's, Reggie, move to uh, heading into this weekend, where the United States is now. And, and and certainly some have said there's mixed messaging coming from the United States. What are some of the challenges as they head into this weekend? Well,
2: look, the challenges right now stem from the fact that cases are rising at a dramatic uh, level. Right now, according to John Hopkins University, The reported cases in America stand roughly around 91,255, which surpasses China, surpasses Italy, makes the U.S. the number one uh, country in the world for reported cases. Deaths are on the north side of 1,350. This is not something that is going to go away quickly, like President Trump had said at the very beginning of this. Uh, We're now seeing that there is a crisis when it comes to the supply chain to be able to uh, better support and protect healthcare workers on the front line of this. There aren't enough masks. There aren't enough ventilators. Uh, The U.S. stockpiles do not have Uh, The the sheer numbers that are going to be needed across the country and the mixed messaging comes directly from the mouth of President Trump on Fox News last night. He was speaking to Sean Hannity questioning why governor said they need 30 or 40,000 ventilators saying sometimes he sees hospitals that only have two you have governors that are actively saying we're not anywhere close to the peak of this disease yet new york state has 40,000 confirmed cases of this right now and their hospitals are running at 125 percent in some cases they're saying they need help the president says they don't need help then goes on twitter this morning and starts blasting companies for not providing ventilators so there is an incredible amount of mixed messaging that is confusing all of america
0: Obviously, there seems to be some sort of ongoing battle between the governor of New York and the president. Obviously, as you said, New York uh, having a tough time with this. Uh, And then there was reports that, you know, unless the tone changed, that these states wouldn't get help. And you noticeably saw a different tone from from Governor Cuomo. So uh, is is Donald Trump dangling uh, help in front of people? If you're not nice to me, you don't get it. Is that what we're seeing? We are seeing that in numerous different cases. I mean, look, the president has
2: the, uh, the powers to force companies to manufacture goods to give to states that are in some kind of crisis mode right now. He has that authority. He signed the law. He just simply isn't using it. He says he's using it as leverage. So in order for states to get the help that they need via the federal government, the president needs to uh, use the law that he has at his hand. He has not done that yet. He is continuing to make states wait. We're also seeing a fight back and forth between uh, President Trump and other governors. Michigan Governor Gretchen uh, Whitmer uh, has been vocally uh, uh, critical of the Trump administration for their slow progress at the very beginning of this outbreak. President Trump last night, again on Fox News, going after Governor Whitmer, uh, saying because she has made critical comments about his administration, he may hold back on approving any kind of disaster declaration for Michigan. And this comes as Michigan's uh, 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 increase in reported cases is 10 times what it was just 48 hours ago. This is the kind of uh, issue that is uh, irking governors across the country is creating a dangerous situation for an already struggling healthcare system across the country and is potentially putting millions of lives at risk
0: it almost sounds like what we were talking about months ago with ukraine and 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 aid to them in that sort of thing it, it's almost like a tit for tat here
2: absolutely i mean look the president says that his you know using ukraine as the example the president says that his rollout and his action to fight this pandemic has been nothing shy of perfect, he says that because he closed down the borders to China early on uh, and took some slack for that, or took some flack for that, um, he says that he has done, uh, you know, the, the utmost of, of brilliance when it comes to uh, keeping this country safe. The problem is cutting off travel stopped an influx of a virus from making its way through the country. What we're seeing now is the virus is spreading in his own country, and he's not working fast enough. To get this under control, states are going to need uh, the federal government's assistance in order to ensure the healthcare system does not collapse under its own weight of patients. Uh, and the federal government simply doesn't have the supplies in their own stockpiles, trying to blame now the previous administration for not filling up those stockpiles. But when asked about it, they'll say the Trump administration will say, well, look, it's the previous administration's fault, but they won't take responsibility for the fact that it's been three years since that previous administration was in place and nothing was done beyond that
0: oh my um obviously mixed messaging coming out of the president and and now we're hearing news uh, in the last day or so that the u.s is number one when it comes to cases of covid19 over and above italy and uh and china what's donald trump's response to that i mean i don't think that's a number one he was looking for
2: no it's not a number he was he was anticipating and and hoping to get but it's also not something that should have been shocking look the world health organization less than a week ago said that there was a good chance that the united states was going to become the next epicenter for this global pandemic and here we are you know less than a week after they made that comment and the united states now has the most cases in the world uh but we've seen this now since the beginning since we at global originally reported on this story in the middle of january The United States has had months and months to be able to prepare for this virus. The president has said he knew it was a pandemic before it was a pandemic, also says that he didn't think that this was going to be as big of a deal, also said that this virus was going to essentially just fizzle out and be nothing worse than the flu. There has been a lack of preparedness uh, from the Trump administration when it comes to dealing with this virus, despite the warning that they have had over the last few months. And the president is now simply trying to deflect to make this somebody else's problem. So he doesn't have to, accept, he's already said he doesn't accept, uh, accept any responsibility for this. Uh, he's now putting it on the shoulders of governors who he appears to think are simply fighting with him, uh, you know, in order to, to ensure that their, uh, their residents are safe. And you got to remember, we aren't, the United States is not anywhere close to reaching the peak yet. This is going to be in numerous different states, on numerous different levels, at numerous different times. New York might not peak for two to three weeks. We're just seeing an escalation in cases in Michigan, and Illinois, and New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, and Georgia, and possibly Florida. This is something that's going to continue for months, and the president uh, is-, is still slow to respond to the state's needs
0: last question reggie uh, obviously we've heard the president talk about how he would like everything open and the country up and running by easter as you said it doesn't look like new york's even going to peak by then uh what about how the economy is taking a hit how does he react to that because that's always something that that he is really promoted especially when he's heading into an election campaign uh what about the economy and the hit it's taken from this i mean that is a blast of reality.
2: Of course, it's a blast of reality. I mean, yesterday we saw jobless claims just for last week alone increase by more than 3.2 million. Jobless rate is going to soar because of that. Uh, And the president is well aware of the fact that the economy needs to reopen. This is part of that uh, potential reasoning as to why he's so eager to get things opened up on uh, on an early basis potentially by Easter even though his own health advisors have said you know that's aspirational and and the virus follows its own timeline it doesn't mark itself on a calendar and say I'm going to be over by now Congress is rushing to try and get a two trillion dollar Uh, stimulus package work through. We should have a vote on that sometime later today uh, to make its way to the president's uh, desk. That's something that's potentially going to give uh, a kickstart to the economy. But it's worth noting, the president said he wants things reopened by April, potentially in a phased stage. So you have low risk, medium risk and high risk, depending on uh, what state it is. But now that we're seeing states that weren't reporting any cases, now seeing these massive increases, It's hard to see how the president can say something is a low risk right now, where two weeks from now, it could be the new epicenter, but he's already given permission for potential people to be able to go back to work. Also noting, it's up to the governors if their states are going to reopen. So this is going to be a battle that's going to continue, and it's going to pit governors
0: against the president. What's Trump's biggest challenge heading into this weekend?
2: Well, the biggest challenge to the president is going to be listening and responding to the state's needs. I mean, Governor Cuomo has said that he needs 30,000 ventilators. The U.S. stockpile doesn't have anything more than a couple of hundred thousand. And the president himself says that these ventilators simply aren't needed in the quantities that governors are asking. If we see any kind of uptick in the number of cases that come through New York over the weekend, if we see an increase in these cases through New Orleans, through uh, parts of Illinois, through Cook County, where Chicago is, or even in through Michigan, this is going to put a strain on federal stockpiles. It's going to put more strain on the president to use his powers to compel companies to manufacture these goods. And if he does not do that, he is going to have continued uh, anger and fights back and forth between individual states and his own administration.
0: Reggie Giacchini has been with us, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at 530 and 6 for more on all of this. Reggie, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Thank you, all right, uh, we are in, I think this is week two of the extended March break for students, uh, obviously going three weeks this year. And it certainly looks like uh, the kids will not be heading back to school when this is all over. Doug Ford, uh, Premier of Ontario, has alluded to that, and that the Education Minister would have more on this uh, to tell parents next week as uh, we get ready for the next phase of which could be e-learning, which is e-learning, I guess, as we try to teach kids in a era of self-isolation. To talk more about all of this, Manny Figueroa is with us, Director of Education, Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, and now on the line with us. Manny, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated.
1: Uh, you're welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me.
0: So how are boards uh, preparing and, and ge- gearing up for e-learning? It, it must have been an interesting couple of weeks for you.
1: Yeah, it's been an intense couple of weeks for all boards. And, um, you know, and, I, and we're hearing the anxiety of some families and i just off the phone with some parents and students around the uncertainty. So, um, I mean, number one thing is we're looking at, we've set some expectations for all staff this week. And our number one priority was um, we have some practices here already. We've been trying to promote blended learning and, and, and virtual learning. And we have about over 3,000 um, courses a year that students take online in true e-learning fashion. But we've been trying to promote blended learning. So we always talk about learning in the, in the physical world and in the digital world. And the physical world right now has been removed from us. So our expectations of staff this week has been clear that we're asking staff to reach out to every family or student this week by April 3rd. We need to know which students may not have access to technology or connectivity. Um, two, we've asked each staff member starting next week, they're going to be participating in virtual remote training in our digital platforms. We have what we call the hub, which is our learning management system. You might have heard the province speak about uh, Brightspace D2L. We call it the hub. It's a virtual learning space that many of our teachers already use, but not all. And we're also training people on Microsoft Teams. Those are the two platforms that will allow educators um, to engage with students with content, video, audio. Um, and the third thing we've, uh, we've asked um, is we've encouraged people. We haven't asked because we know not everyone is in this digital world yet, but there are educators who already are on these digital platforms or Google Classrooms or other digital platforms that they've used. We encourage them to continue to reach out, provide some activities for parents and their students during this time, in addition to what the ministry has that the learn at home. So that's our expectation. We've trained all our administrators um, this week to make sure, uh, and and all of them now are conducting staff meetings from today and early next week. Uh, So we're creating the virtual school now and the virtual classroom. So that's sort of our two-week plan. And then we're waiting for further direction from the ministry. You alluded to that very likely that we will not be returning April 6th. So we're planning under the assumption that we will be closed for a further period of time
0: so at this point teachers are during this week are reaching out to students and trying to find out where there might be some issues moving forward with this and then next week they move into training to try to implement all of this is that accurate
1: yeah that yeah we've given till april 3rd by next friday all schools will have a data of which students maybe do not have access and if they don't have access to a personal device we're going to uh, provision them with them we have them in schools um We're just working out a process how to make sure to get it it to them. Our greatest challenge will be for some families who we could say, well, we have a device, but we don't have Internet access. And, you know, students don't have access to the public library. They don't have access to other places where they could access Wi-Fi. So we're working with our our partners, our Internet providers. We're working with our vendors like Microsoft and Apple. And we've been working with some community agencies who've, who've reached out to us, like the Hamilton Community Foundation, um, the Bulldogs, um, Food for Kids, there are people who are saying, if you identify any gaps for the next phase in terms of gaps, um, inequities with families, how can we help? So we're going to gather that data um, mm. and we're going to see how we can close that gap with some of the families who we have to, we have to make sure that they have access uh, to the distance learning like everybody else.
0: Uh, obviously, you're all in the very early stages of all of this, but any idea what this will look like to the average student once they sit down in front of uh, a device or a screen at home?
1: Yeah, I, yes, I, I do. It's, I've been saying to our staff that we're confident with our leaders there and our staff, and we know we're going to make mistakes. Right? We know, and we know that people, uh, Scott, are on different levels of the continuum. We have early adopters who have adopted this for years, and we're some who are, who are now going to be trained on this for the first time. Um, so we ask parents to, to, to be patient, and we're, going to, we're monitoring on a daily on a daily basis. But we're also going to leverage the practice of good educators who've been in this been in this world. I've had so many emails of teachers saying, "Hey, I've already adopted. If you can create some networks, virtual networks, we can help each other and support each other." Uh, so the, the learning networks of teams virtually of teachers who already embarked on this, we are going to leverage that. But um, and, and as we're scaffolding this, Scott, we're going to start to, our greatest focus is really going to be in the secondary because we know around credit accumulation is key. Kids need certain courses to take the courses the following year. And also our grade 12 students in terms of um, grade 12 within their fifth year around post-secondary, those credits are, are, are vital. Mm-hmm. So we're going to scaffold around really making sure secondary is key, but everyone's going to be afforded the training um, next week. And we can also leverage the e-learning courses we have already. We already have e-learning courses and materials there that we can draw from.
0: And message to parents and kids here is that this information will probably arrive early next week and uh, in the process of next week will be implemented and and we'll certainly know what happens by the time April 6 rolls around or the first week of April rolls around.
1: That's correct, Scott. The minister minister and the deputy minister has teleconferences with all directors um, in the province every Tuesday and Thursday morning. Um, we were told yesterday that we, early next week we should expect an announce, announcement. Uh, the data around COVID-19, uh, 19, as we are, we're all seeing, is clearly indicating it, it hasn't hit a peak. Yeah. That we probably haven't hit the peak of our crisis. And we know what the province of Quebec has done at this point. They have closed schools till till May 1st. So we are using this as a as an opportunity to see how we can leverage this digital world. Now we have good practices out there, and uh, we, um, we're we going to ask families to be patient as we unfold, and communication is going to be key through the next phase.
0: Manny Figueroa has been with us, Director of Education at the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. Manny, good luck to you, and we're all behind you. I know we'll come out of this fine. Uh, you've got some work, your work cut out for you for the next week or so. Uh, that's for sure as we move forward with all of this. Thanks so much for all the help and all the teachers. Uh, great job, Manny. Uh, Thank you very much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson show podcast on 900 CHML. How is your internet holding up? How is your feed hanging in, um, during this time of working from home, self-isolation and what have you? Uh, we've heard that Netflix has, uh, um i, I guess uh, uh, taken uh, i guess what's the information that i'm looking for here uh they throttled back their their the quality of their programming in order to uh, allow for everyone to i guess get on because there's so many people jumping onto this let's bring in Carmi levy tech analyst uh he is with us now Carmi, thanks for the time
5: much appreciated great to be here scott thanks for having me on
0: So I've noticed as I'm broadcasting from home and I'm doing all these neat things that technology allows us to do that, you know, my Wi-Fi is kind of fluttering. It's gone out. I can obviously do what I'm doing to talk to you. But how, what sort of situation does this put cable companies in?
5: Uh, A pretty serious one. I mean, the good news here, Scott, is that we don't have to worry about a global meltdown of the Internet. Remember, the Internet was originally designed to survive a nuclear war, that entire chunks of it could be blown away and we'd still be able to get work done. This was back in the 60s, and that's as true today as it was then. So, you know, uh, know, a a virus, uh, an epidemic, a pandemic, global pandemic isn't gonna take it down. It was designed for this kind of thing. That having been said, there are impacts, I mean, millions of people have literally shifted. They're not at the office anymore. They've gone home, and they're using video conferencing platforms like Microsoft Teams, Slack, Google Hangouts, FaceTime. Uh, almost, you know, all day, every day, and that's going to have some implications. And we are seeing global internet use go up. Uh, I was looking at some numbers from Nokia, which is a large provider of the hardware that actually runs the internet, uh, and they say that they're seeing between 20 and 40 percent peak increases in traffic. Uh, you know, in certain on certain parts of the network, they don't think. And and in terms of video conferencing. 300% video conferencing growth in the U.S., 400% growth in mm. gaming. So, you know, you know, this is significant. You may notice a slowdown here and there, but it isn't going to bring the internet down as a as a whole anytime soon. There's a but. There's a but there, is that if you look at your house, that's a different story. Maybe your router is a little bit older. Maybe you haven't tweaked the settings. Maybe you're still using an old plan with your internet service provider that you haven't changed in five six or ten years uh if you're you know if your netflix is stuttering or if the kids are all playing games and they're complaining that things aren't working as they should that could be what's driving it not the global internet that's where you've got to start taking a look at what's going on inside your house
0: uh cable companies being deluged with with uh with calls and complaints at this point uh, as as people doing just exactly what you're saying
5: uh, I'm seeing a lot of like a lot of people. Are, obviously, I don't have access to their their stats, but a lot of people are talking about it online. So I'm guessing that there are more complaints now than usual. The good news is is they 're responding to it. in many cases they're for the same amount of money they 're saying, okay we 'll give you a higher speed connection or we 'll loosen the reins on that account that you 've got we 'll give you a better deal because we recognize that this is uh, a challenging time. In many cases, all you need to do is go to your internet service provider 's homepage uh, and, uh, and self serve uh, they don 't want to talk to you because you know, their people are also in lockdown. But they've got uh, services and systems available that you can literally pick a better deal uh, without spending more uh, in the process. And so it's up to you, though. You're not going to get it just by magic. You're going to have to go out, reach out to them, and make that happen. So I'll give them credit because normally I rage on them fairly significantly. Normally they deserve it. They are doing what they can in a very difficult time to give us better service when we need it most.
0: But the infrastructure is in place. It sort of reminds me when all of a sudden we'll all turn, uh, turn to electric cars. Will there be enough infrastructure to supply the electricity? But we're good to go as far as the infrastructure.
5: We are. We may see some uh, creaking at the edges, like Netflix uh, had an outage earlier this week for people both in Europe and the U.S. Uh, Google had an outage yesterday for a couple of hours. Some of their services weren't available. Um, and so we are seeing some strain uh, here and there. But insofar as you know the internet crashing on mass because the you know the planet is uh, crushing it, no, I don't see that happening. Uh, not only anytime soon, I don't see it happening at all. We can be confident that uh, you know it's been built out to handle what we're throwing at it. That having been said. There are so little things that we should be doing you know, in our own world, in our own realm, to make sure that we're getting the most for our money and that we're maintaining that stability so that our video doesn't freak out in the middle of a video conference with hmm. our vice president. Uh, and, uh, you know, we don't lose that connection at a time when we really need it most.
0: So call your provider and make sure you've got everything uh, up to date. Uh, what about uh, Netflix and reducing the quality picture really quickly? What's the reasoning behind that? Why are they doing that?
5: Well, the, the higher the quality, the more data you have to move over the line. So if you reduce the quality, the, the picture looks a little more jaggy, uh, but the the, the the quality of the connection is much higher. In other words, less of a chance of you losing that connection. So what they're doing is, in the background, they're just reducing the overall quality so you don't have a 4K uh, um, high-def picture anymore. It's lower quality, but frankly, no one cares. As long as it's working and Netflix isn't going down, which is what's happening, I'm happy. Apple is doing the same thing. Disney, they all are. Uh, YouTube, and that's just part of the deal now. It'll go back up once this crisis is over.
0: Carmi Levy's been with us, tech analyst. Carmi, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. As do I. Thanks so much, Scott. A lot of things frozen right now. Not just your internet. Uh, It is 226. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson, Will Erskine, back at the plan. And feel free to jump into the conversation via Facebook, Twitter. You can always send us a note to Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. We have heard that the conservative leadership uh, campaign has been suspended due to COVID-19. To talk more about all of this, Peter Wolstencroft is with us, retired professor of political science, University of Waterloo. He is with us now. Peter, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well.
6: Oh, I am, and I'm keeping a uh, hockey stick distance from my neighbours.
0: <laughs> there you go. That's all you need. There's a good rule of thumb for Canadiana, just a good hockey stick.
6: Yeah. Uh,
0: your thoughts on this all being postponed? It seems everything else is. Is this a good idea, too?
6: Well, it was to me. If you'd asked me uh, two weeks ago, I would have said yes. And uh, the Conservatives have got their own plague. I mean, they're, they're two big names or are not candidates. Uh, so uh, that's a loss. But, you know, I think the party has mishandled this. And what they were interested in, I presume, was a, re- a new leader, a result. But what they should have been interested in was a process. And the COVID-19 has meant that it's very impossible to have a process. So Canadians have had no opportunity to get engaged in this. Second, I think it's been very unfair. Uh, decisions were made about postponing the the leadership election after the deadline to be a candidate and certain people were knocked off because they hadn't met the very high standards that were set and and it was very hard for people who are outside the core of the party to raise the money and to meet people and build up support and that's what you want in an election in an election campaign is is there a person able to show appeal and mobilize supporters and raise money and do all that kind of stuff and so some people were cut off and then the other thing that's peculiar is that two candidates have been denied access to the ballot, and we have no idea why. So uh, it's hard to say this has been well handled at all.
0: Does there is there an advantage or disadvantage to any of the candidates because of this?
6: Well, everybody uh, had Peter McKay ahead, and and he had the terrible timing misfortune to yesterday be all over the media from Afghanistan to Zanzibar calling for an earlier vote, and
0: yeah, does that hurt him? Didn't want to
6: have a suspension, and then the party last night said, uh, "No, we're going to suspend this. We're going to postpone it." So he he looks like he's not really on top of things. Um, I mean, he he's a favorite until we hear evidence to the contrary, and I don't see any any persu- persuasive evidence uh, to the contrary. But the party, beyond the fact uh, that f- they will have a leader, or want to have a process. Uh, they have some big holes. I mean, they wanted a strong candidate from Quebec to energize people in Quebec and build up their constituency associations and all that. Well, they don't have that, uh, and they don't—they don't, they don't really—they ha- don't have a candidate from Western Canada. Um, but we have at, at the moment three candidates from from on Ontario and, and Peter McKay, who's uh, Nova Scotia and Ontario. So Ontario has three and a half candidates. Let's put it that way.
0: Peter Rolstencroft, i got to interrupt you there. A retired political science professor, University of Waterloo. Conservative leadership has decided to uh, postpone its leadership campaign. It is 2.30, news on the way. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.